appreciate being here this morning. It's uh, always good to be back when you've had to miss a little bit. Appreciate our children this morning and everybody that's made an effort to be here. And just uh, uh, appreciate being in the Lord's house. It's just uh, such a good feeling uh, when you walk in them doors and just see everybody. And it's just there's there's no place like this in the world, you know? especially when you we get where we need to be and feel the Lord's spirit. And, uh, there's nothing better in life than being able to feel the Lord. Appreciate being here this morning. Uh, look forward to having a good day in the Lord. And, uh, um, last, uh, Zolly, we dismiss us Sunday school. to see everybody. Appreciate everybody for coming out today. Brother Carl asked me about a week ago about teaching this and told him I would sure try, so appreciate the opportunity. Desire your prayers. Some of these lessons, and Carl and I have talked about this, some of these lessons they give you maybe six verses and uh, seems like it's hard to fill up sometimes a whole hour Then sometimes like today there's there's what is there 15 verses and um, I think I could probably I think I could probably go for two hours and still not uh, get all of this so um, we'll just see where the Lord leads us and he he may be done in five minutes and if he is well maybe I ought to be done in five minutes I don't know but there's a lot in this so uh, so we're in Deuteronomy uh, we're going to start this in this lesson actually has three different places. We're going to be in chapter 5, chapter 10, and chapter 27. So uh, you guys kind of know my pattern. I always like to know what's going on and who's talking and who are they talking to, when did this happen, and where did it happen. I think those are all great things. If you can answer those, it, it, it helps me a lot in the scripture. So this is Moses. He's talking to the children of Israel. Uh, and there's actually in Deuteronomy, uh, there's, there's three sermons that he gives to the children of Israel. Uh, and then there's another, uh, I guess, a charge, I would call it, that he gives to Joshua. We're not really going to get into that today. 
but there's three sermons that he gives to the children of Israel. And where this has taken place is Moses uh, has led the children of Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. We all know that, that story. We've all heard that from children. Uh, and they come up to the promised land, and there is opposition about going into the promised land. And God is disappointed in that. So he leads them around in the wilderness, essentially in the desert, for 40 years. And after 40 years, he says, okay, I'm going to let you, uh, let you go into the promised land. And so that's, you know, that's where we're at here. We're at the end of that 40 years, and the children of Israel are not in the promised land yet. They're just outside of it. They're actually in Moab. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, about Moab, but uh, they're, they've got to cross the Jordan River in order to get to where that God wants them to be into the Promised Land. Now, I want to say this, and I said this a few weeks ago when I taught. I don't remember exactly what on, but uh, we hear the Promised Land and crossing Jordan, and I don't go away and say Blaine said that ain't true because that's not the case. But we hear that referred to a lot as leaving this life and going to heaven. And certainly that's a fine representation. I've got no fault with that. I agree with that. There's a lot of correlations. But let's look at this today because I think a, at least as good of a representation, and, and in my mind, probably what this is talking about when it speaks to me is when we come out of sin and we get saved and we're going to live in this country from now until we go to heaven. And I'll explain why I think that. But please don't go away and say, well, Blaine said that, that going to the promised land doesn't mean going to heaven. That, that's not what I'm saying, okay? It's certainly there's representations and symbolisms, and we can get both of those, all right? And there's a lot of good ones. I'm going to focus on the get, you know, getting, being lost and getting saved and living in this, this land. And how does that apply to us? It certainly applied to the Israelites back there. But, you know, one of my favorite scriptures, and, and it's a very common scripture, and we read it a lot. Uh, uh, let me see here if I can find it. Uh, I can't find it. I'll get to it when I get on down in here. Uh, but uh, Paul, in one of his writings says we are Jews which are Jews inwardly and so uh, and then he talks about the circumcision of the heart when we get saved we spiritually become a Jew so while this scripture certainly is talking about what actually happened to the, the uh, nation of Israel when they were getting ready to go into the promised land it applies to us if we've been saved we are Jews so uh, let's talk a little bit about Moses. Um, some, just some interesting things about Moses. Moses lived 120 years. All right? And there were really three, if you want to break his life up, there were three parts of his life. First 40 years, he was in Egypt, primarily living in the Pharaoh's house, being trained to be the leader of Egypt. All right? That was 40 years. He left there decided that that wasn't for him 
and he goes and essentially works for Jethro for the next approximately 40 years. The last 40 is where that he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and leads them around following God, but leads them around in the wilderness for a period of 40 years. And when he's making, given these sermons here in Deuteronomy, he's right at the end of his life. He's, he's 120 years old, and he's getting ready to die. Shortly after this, he dies. So that's, that's Moses. Um, so let's start here. Deuteronomy uh, 5 and 1. So this is Moses speaking. And I told you there were three sermons uh, that he gave. The first sermon that he gives in Deuteronomy, and we're not going to get into a whole lot of that, but he is reminiscing on leaving Egypt and wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And he's talking to them about their, their things that they were challenged with and their, and their victories, and he kind of just gives a history. You've got to keep in mind that a lot of the people that were getting ready to go into the promised land were just children at the time that they came out of Egypt and they started this journey uh, or hadn't been born yet. I mean, you know, they were born while this was all going on or, and a lot of them were just children. Most of the folks that were adults had died off, all right? So, but he wants to remind them and, and it reminds me a lot of times, uh, and I love it when Carl teaches and he talks about the history of this church and a lot of times gives an admonition and says, boy, we'd better be careful because I remember a time when there was a church split and some of the church left and formed another church and there was a major disagreement and we had all these problems, you know, and God blessed through that and led us to where we are now, but that can happen again. So, see, I wasn't there, but I, I know about that because Carl... And some of these other folks were here, and they tell us about those things. And so that's what Moses is doing here. His congregation that he's preaching to, most of them weren't there when they crossed the Red Sea and don't remember a lot of those things, but he's reminded them. So that's the first sermon. So we pick this up, we're in the second sermon. And the second sermon is really him saying, we need to follow God his law and his commandments and if we will good things will happen for us and if we don't follow that we're going to have trouble so that's where we're at here so we pick it up so the first two places we read in, in chapter 5 and in chapter 10 are both part of this second sermon the third place we read is actually part of if you, you want to break those down and I think that's a good way to do it in that third sermon that he gives but here uh, Deuteronomy 5 and 1 Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. So he's saying, hey, listen, God has given us some laws and some commandments. If, if you'll listen to me and do them, it'll be a good thing for you. And if you don't, it'll, it'll be bad. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Horeb was where Moses went and got the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's what he's talking about here. Now, Moses was up on Mount Horeb a couple of times. 
and, and talked with God, and God instructed him and told him things to do and what to, what to tell the children of Israel. But that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, hey, God has spoken to us. He's told us. And, you know, when, when we got this, these laws on, on Mount Oreb, they apply to us still, all right? And so we can still look at the Ten Commandments, but th th those don't apply to us anymore, do they? A lot of people wishes they don't. You're exactly right. A lot of people, you know, well, the law, that was satisfied and that's done with and it, it, law was done away with, so we don't have to worry about that anymore, right? No, that ain't right. Those Ten Commandments still apply to us, all right? And, and we need to live our life in such a way and uh, that people will see God in us. So, verse 3, The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. So, well, what are you talking about? You just said that a lot of those people died and a lot of these people were children or weren't born yet. So how many generations of God's family are there? I mean, you know, there was Abraham, and Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. Now, there was P.L. Brock, and then there's Terry Brock, and there's Blaine Brock. So that's three generations of Brocks. And Trey Brock, that's four. So that's, that's the Brock family. But in God's family, how many generations are there? There's one. One generation. All right? Same God. I'm in the same generation that P.L. Brock was in. All right? I got saved at one day, one generation. Some would have you think that there's two because there was a law church and a grace church. We're all saved by grace. It was grace from the cross that goes back to Adam and grace from the cross that goes down to whoever the last one to get saved is and the last one to get offered is. It's grace the whole way. And, just like Carl just said, it's the law the whole way. The law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We all need the law. We all need grace. Everybody that ever gets saved gets, gets saved by grace, but had to have the law there to show them where they failed. All right, so there's, but there's one generation. So Moses is saying that here. He didn't say it in those words, but he's telling them, you know, you may not have been alive back then. He physically was, and some of those children may not have been alive back then, but this isn't a covenant with just your, your mom and dad who were alive back then, this is a covenant with all of Israel. And again, keep in mind, Israel is a spiritual nation. All right? And just like Paul said, uh, you know, we're a Jew that's a Jew inwardly. So this applies to all of us. All right, any comments on that before we, we move on uh, from here? I want to read this in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 but ye are a chosen generation one a royal priesthood and holy nation a peculiar people you know when I was in 
school and somebody referred to me as peculiar, I didn't think that was a compliment. I probably didn't mean it that way. But we should be a peculiar people. We should be set aside. We should act differently than people that are in this world. And if we don't, something's wrong. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's Peter writing years and years later. But it's, again, making my point. There's one generation. And that's Moses is telling them this here. This applies to us all. Just because, you know, just because I wasn't around when P.L. Brock was, was here and was a deacon for a lot of years, I'm still in the same generation and the same things that applied to him apply to me if I'm saved. All right. Any comments on that before we move on to, to the next part of this? Okay. So now we're going to go over into chapter 10. And we're going to read verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Heart and soul the same thing? What do you think? The heart is where the decisions are made. Is your heart saved? Your heart's really where you decide what you're going to do before you're saved and after you're saved. Because just because I'm saved doesn't mean I've never messed up. Because if you follow me around very long, you'll see I make some bad decisions. I, I try to not, and I try to get back on the right path, but i got to repent every day. All right? Heart's not saved. Soul's saved. There's two of us. And that soul is, is sealed, born again. It's perfect in there. Ever since God saved me, I haven't made any more mistakes in my soul. But this guy you look at sometimes follows his heart. And you hear people say, well, just follow your heart. Well, you've got to be careful following your heart. If you're following your heart and listening to God, that's fine. Follow your heart. But if you're following your heart listening to this guy right here, well, be real careful. That'll get you in trouble. All right. So. That's good. Anybody else? I don't know if any of you have, but I have. I've been in spots before where um, 
I wanted to hear what God was telling me. But there was so much noise around me that it was really hard to hear what God was saying. Anybody else ever been there? I've been there. Um, I had a, uh, I had a, a financial opportunity once, and man, it looked so good. And I thought, wow, that's gonna, that's gonna really do well. And you know, making money gets me excited. I don't know about anybody else, but if I see a chance to make money, I, I'm excited about that. I want to do that. And I told Becky, I said, man, this looks so good. I said, I'm, I'm just so excited. And I started praying, and I was trying to hear God, but the noise from this had me so excited. I mean, it was like a shiny new toy, if you want to you know, think about when you were a kid. And so I, I started praying this way. I said, God, I'm trying to hear. And if this is your will for me to do this, I want to do this. But if it's not your will for me to do this, then I don't. I'm trying to hear. Help me. And if I'm not hearing, make it real clear. Because I don't want to take a step in the wrong direction. That was my heart. I was trying to do what God wanted me to do, but I was having a hard time hearing. I don't know about anybody else. That's just me being honest with you. So it got right up, and it, boy, it looked like everything was going to just go through smooth as a, as a you know, new paved road. I thought, man, this is, this is, and all of a sudden, God just shut the door. There was no doubt about it. And Becky said, wow, what are you going to do now? I said, I'm walking away from that. There ain't no doubt about that. There ain't no reason for me to follow that anymore. I said, God made it clear. He answered my prayer. So we can all do that. When there's a lot of noise around and sometimes it's hard to hear exactly what God wants, you know, ask God, make this clear to me. Help me hear. God, I'm trying to be faithful. You know, help me, help me follow you the, and show me the right path. So that's just an example that I had. But, I mean, everybody's probably had similar things. But so we've just got to be careful. What are we using to make our decisions? Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many examples through the Bible, if you look at it, where things look, I mean, it didn't look like a good decision from a natural standpoint for Moses to leave the Pharaoh's house and go be with the children of Israel. Boy, that's a terrible decision. What in the world is that boy thinking? You know, that's probably how I would have looked at it. But God saw it. And it was definitely the right decision. And I think Moses, didn't he say, I'd rather, uh, uh, rather suffer with the children of God? You know, I, I don't, can't get that scripture, but there's a scripture there. I mean, he understood it. You know, following God isn't always going to look like, and sometimes it's not going to be the easy thing. It's hard, but it's not going to look like the right thing to the world. But, again, God... Just like Mike said, God knows. He sees everything. He sees stuff we don't see. Appreciate the comments. Anybody else? So, I, uh, it's interesting when asking, uh, 
what does the Lord God require of thee? All right. So Moses just, you know, pretty in re- if you're looking at it from a historical standpoint, had delivered these Ten Commandments, and he had also had some other, you know, things that God required and was telling the children of Israel, these are the things you need to do. And then he kind of breaks it down here even more. Uh, Fear the Lord thy God, walk in all his ways, love him, serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee. Okay, so Micah, which is one of the, referred to as one of the minor prophets, if you read the book of Micah in chapter 6, he has a similar, in his writings, where he's talking about what does God require of us and, and says some of the same things. And then in Matthew, Matthew 22, verse 36. This is somebody talking to Jesus and then Jesus speaks. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you do those two things, then you're going to do everything that Moses has set down for the children of Israel. If you love the Lord and really completely and fully love him, and try to follow him, and you love your neighbor like you love yourself, then you're going to do all of these things. All right. Christ, Christ gives you the Cliff Notes version. He breaks it right down really, really, you know, makes it just as simple and, and precise. So I love that. Um, all right. Any comments? All right. I'm doing okay on time. Um, so we're going to go into Deuteronomy chapter 27. And I told you earlier that there were some things in here that I wanted to get to why I thought that this was a good symbol or a good representation of being saved and what we go through in this life before we die. And this is where we get to it. So Deuteronomy 27.1. And Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you this day. And it shall be on the day when ye shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, that thou shalt set up, set thee up great stones and plaster them with plaster. All right. So here's the setting. They're in Moab. And Moab, by the way, is described as, as an area that's in the middle of a desert, but there's some water there, and it's almost like an oasis. It's like a green, pretty nice place. So let's talk about Moab for just a minute. Two important things that happened biblically that you know that happened in Moab. Abraham and Lot getting ready to split and go their ways 
Abraham says to, Mo, uh, says to Lot, you pick. Which either area you want to go, you go, and I'll go the other. Well, Lot looked down, and he saw this area in Moab, and he said, I'm going down there. That looks really good. All right, so it must have been a pretty, pretty nice place. Moab is actually named after Lot's grandson, if I've got that right. Uh, it wasn't called Moab when Lot headed down there, but later it was named that after his grandson. And then the second thing that happened was Elimelech and Naomi left Israel because of a famine and went to another place, and that's where uh, they, their son marries Ruth. Well, they're in Moab. Uh, Ruth was from Moab. Mo Ruth was a Moabitish woman. So just some interesting things, but this is where the children of Israel are at. They're in Moab. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land, all right? And so Moses is telling them, when you cross the Jordan, I want you to get you some stones, and I want you to set them up, and I want you to clean them or, or, or put plaster. Plaster is like plaster. I mean, it's the same type of thing. It's got lime in it. Uh, and so when they would take this plaster and wash these stones, it would make them white. I mean, they're gonna, it's going to look really impressive compared to just a stone that was uncleaned. Now, I'm not really sure, maybe Carl or somebody, Dad, might know. I don't know if the plaster also is like, it's similar to plaster like we use now, so could be used to hold these together all in one big uh, type of monument, but I'm not sure if that was the case or not. Do you guys know if they were connected or if the plaster was just to clean them? Not sure. Don't know that it matters. They were set up in close proximity of each other. So why'd they do that? Why'd they take these stones as they were crossing Jordan? Why did they do that and set those up on the other side of Jordan? It's a memorial. You go over to Fairmount Road to the cemetery and go in there. There's stones in there, and they got there's one in there that says P.L. Brock on it. It tells what day he was born, and it tells what day he passed, and a little bit about him. It's a memorial. That's my grandpa. I drive out there sometimes, and I look at that stone. My father-in-law is there. There's several people from this church that are, you know, right there in close proximity. I can go out there, and, boy, I can look around and remember a lot of good things, you know, if you just walk around there for 15 or 20 minutes, you can remember great services and a lot of good things with a lot of those people. It's a memorial. That's why we've got those memorial stones. Same thing here. Just like Bill said, they didn't want their children to forget what happened when, when, that, when that occurred. Okay? So they're setting that up in the promised land so their children can come by and see that. Do you think we're going to need a memorial in heaven when we get there? No, that's for here. That, that's one of the reasons why I say I think this makes a great example of what happens after we get saved. So look at crossing the Jordan like a salvation experience. So, you know, we're crossing into a new country, leaving that old country and crossing into a new country. But, you know, sometimes it's good to tell your testimony and remind your people 
There was a time when I was wandering around over there in that other country. And God brought me across the Jordan. He saved me. And now I live a different way. And so these stones that are set up here and, and whitewashed, if you'll have it that way, they're, they're cleaned up and, and washed and are white looking, which is some great symbolism in and of itself. They're there to remind everybody. So, uh, And as we go along this life, you know, Carl gets up next week and teaches, you know, a great Sunday school lesson. That's setting up another stone somebody can look at. You know, you, you get up, somebody gets up today and sings a song. Somebody testifies. It's setting up another stone that people can go, yeah, I, I can witness with that. I can connect with that. And, and that'll be a memory. When I go out there to Fairmount Cemetery and look at those, those headstones out there, I'm remembering church services, you know. And I go down always and always visit cliffs because, boy, I was in some great services, sang with Cliff for years and, you know, miss him. But I can look back at some of those services and remember those. I can remember some of those times he sang or did a recitation or testified. Man, that's important in my life. So that's what's going on here. So anybody got a comment on that? And thou shalt write upon them all the words of this law when thou art passed over, that thou mayest go in unto the land which the Lord thy God gives thee, a land that floweth with milk and honey, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee. So... He's telling them, set these stones up and write the law that I'm telling you now, write it on these stones, all right? And just like we were talking about, we're saved, but those that law still applies to us. Does that mean that we lose our salvation if we break one of those? No, it doesn't. We're saved and the soul is sealed up. But that still applies to us. We need to live in such a way that people around us that aren't saved can see that there's something different about us, that we're a peculiar people. Therefore, it shall be when you are gone over Jordan that ye shall set up these stones which I command ye this day in Mount Ebal, and thou shalt plaster them with plaster. And there shalt thou build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stones. Thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them. Now, I want to make this clear. I think on Mount Ebal, there were stones that they erected. I think that there were stones erected right by the Jordan as well. So I think they did this erection of these stones. I think they did that two different times. All right. And then on Mount Ebal, Moses tells them to erect an altar. All right. Are we going to need to pray when we're in heaven? I don't think we are. I don't, I don't know. I don't see any scriptural reason why we would need to pray. We're going to be with God and with Jesus. We want to talk to him. We won't have to go through the process of trying to humble our heart. And I mean, we're going to be... Just like they are, we'll be able to talk to them. And, and so, again, but from a standpoint of getting saved, again, go back, crossing the Jordan like your salvation experience, 
Start setting up stones. Start trying to live in such a way that people around you will know that there's something different about it. Why are they setting up those stones and whitewashing them over there? What are they doing? So they, I think they did it right by the Jordan, and I think they did it again up on Mount Ebal. And now they're erecting an altar. I think it was uh, Preacher Albert Smith that said, when you get saved, if you want to be in a good place, there's some things you can do. I'm paraphrasing. Pray. All right? So we got an altar. We, you know, we need to have our, our life correct so that we can actually pray. Now, I can kneel down and say words or bow my head and, and say words. Boy, there's some people that can say beautiful words, and I've heard some beautiful things said that was supposed to be a prayer that if it was a prayer, I missed it. I mean, it, it was beautiful words, but to pray, you got to have some spirit. Uh, so he's telling them here, erect an altar, all right? So set these stones up, whitewash them with plaster, and then he's telling them, erect an altar. Now, I'll tell you, I wondered all week, and I still don't have an answer, so maybe somebody knows. He tells them, don't use any iron tools on this altar. Now, obviously, I, I think that they're using iron tools when they are putting the the commandments on these stones that they are erecting. I think they have to. Um, but there's no iron tools used on the altar. Does anybody know why? Because I don't. love that. I mean, I think that's a great, uh, I don't know if everybody could hear it, but Bill said they brought those stones out of the water and brought them to there, and God didn't want them changed. He wanted them to be just like they were when they brought them there, and I, I certainly, I, I can't argue with that, so that makes a great, uh, answers that question for me, so thank you. I uh, should, should have called you last night and asked that. <laughs> so, so they set these up, they've got their altar, then what do they do? Thou shalt build an altar to the Lord of whole stones, and thou shalt offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord thy God. All right. So the burnt offering is under, under the law. The burnt offering is the offering uh, for forgiveness. Okay. There's, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So this is a burnt offering of some uh, animal uh, that's been killed and it's placed upon the altar and it's offered. Uh, and that signifies, we know, looking forward to the perfect sacrifice that was made, which is Christ. All right. And so, so they have this burnt offering. And thou shalt offer peace offerings and shalt eat there and rejoice before the Lord thy God. So... They're going to build the altar. They're going to have this burnt offering, which is they're commanded to do under the law, looking forward towards the perfect sacrifice. And then they got a peace offering, which is a, is a separate individual offering. It's basically an offering of thanksgiving, uh, of, of uh, being thankful in your heart for what God has done for you. Uh, and 
it's worshiping, all right, if you'll have it that way. I mean, when we gather here and we worship, uh, we're doing the same thing. If, if, we're, if we really worship, we're doing the same thing. These are all things, again, and I, when you look at it from a standpoint of where is this symbolizing, I don't think we're going to have burnt offerings, and I don't think we're going to have peace offerings in heaven. All right? But it was for their continued existence here to be an example to the people around them. Okay? Now, I want to make this point. Uh, we've got just a few minutes. So Mount Ebal, and there was another mount, mountain really close to it. Is it Ger Gershom? Gershom? I've lost the pronunciation. But Moses advises them here, and in Joshua, you can read where this happens. They had, where this altar is set up here on Mount Ebal, they had half of the tribes of the children of Israel. And I believe that, I don't know any other reason, but I believe that this, the six tribes that they had here was about half of the population of the children of Israel. And on this other mountain, they had the other half. And there's this valley right here in the middle, okay? So the children of Israel that are on Mount Ebal start reciting and saying the blessings of God. And it echoes down in this valley. And the children that are on this other mountain recite back God's curse, what he's promised will happen if we don't follow him. See, Moses tells them here in one of the chapters in Deuteronomy, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. That still applies to us. But what a great representation. I, won't, I mean, it's not a play, but it's an enactment of what God wanted. And boy, it makes a great picture. You've got half of the church on one side telling God will bless you if you follow him. And you got half on the other side saying God's going to punish you if you don't follow him. You talk about a valley of decision. This valley in the middle here, the valley of decision. You know, Which direction is your heart going to go? I mean, we can look and follow God's commandments. There's a blessing. And if we don't, God's going to get us. There's no doubt about it. There's a curse if we don't. That applies from a salvation standpoint, and it applies from a how do we live our lives from day to day after we've been saved standpoint. But I, I just love that. I mean, you know, you hear and you, the, the term valley of decision. Man, there's no greater representation to me of the valley of decision than right here when you've got half of the church on each side telling you, you know, what you, what you can look forward to. Does anybody have any comments on that? All right, let me, let me read on. Um, so verse 9, And Moses and the priests and the Levites spake unto all Israel, saying, Take heed and hearken, O Israel, this day thou art become the people of, of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. So, when we're saved, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. Uh, God saved 
Israel as a nation here, as a representation. And this really happened, all right? I don't think this is just representation. This really physically happened, what is being described here. But in our lives, when we get saved, he saves us, each individually. And we don't belong to ourselves anymore. So you've got a choice to make. And, and if you want to be happy, and that doesn't mean you're going to be rich, and it doesn't mean you're not going to have health problems, or you're going to have other things that come about. doesn't mean that your people aren't going to die, because all that's going to happen. But if you want to be happy, follow God and his commandments. And if you don't follow God and his commandments, after you're saved, you're not going to be happy. Any comments? I appreciate all the, the really good comments. Brother Carl will be back next Sunday. You're dismissed.